Harvest New Beginnings Church is located in Oswego, Illinois. Our mission is to make disciples who are radically devoted to Christ, having both a deep love for God and a sincere love for people. This message is brought to you by Pastor Scott Poling. After 41 years on air in Chicago, classic rock station, 97.9, The Loop, signed off for the very last time a little over a week ago, Friday, March 9th. And of all things, this classic rock station was bought out by a contemporary Christian station, K-Love. Now, it was no accident, though, that the night before the hands switched from going from secular to Christian, these were the last three songs on the secular playlist. 11.49, Shout at the Devil. 11.52, The Number of the Beast. And 11.57, Highway to Hell. They knew what they were doing. No doubt about it. UltimateClassicRock.com said the devil got his chance to say goodbye thanks to ACDC, Iron Maiden, and Motley Crue. Another article by Guy Brad Miska said one last gesture given the devil horns to the new owners. Mocking Christians. Mocking Christians is nothing new in this world. It's nothing new in this world. The world has always poked fun at believers in Jesus Christ. The world has always scoffed at those in faith in the Lord and what we believe. The world has always been ignorant of who we are, what we believe, and why we believe it. And sometimes their ignorance is just without knowledge, and and sometimes their ignorance is very deliberate with attitude. Ignorance is everywhere in this world, and as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to be prepared for that. And not only does God want us prepared for the ignorance of this world, he wants to make sure we don't become the ignorant in this world. We need to understand the Bible. We need to understand the truths of Scripture. There are too many Christians who are so shallow. And God wants us to dive deep and grow and understand the truths of his holy word. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We are going to be prepared for the ignorance in the world and and be protected from becoming ignorant. So let's take our Bibles and let's go to 2 Peter chapter 3. And let's dive into what God has to teach us through this apostle who walked on water, sat at the feet of Jesus, had his feet washed by Jesus, saw the resurrected Jesus, has so much to teach us, sees the transfiguration of Christ. He has experienced so much and by God's Holy Spirit, he gives us his word. And so let's live and learn and grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ so that we do not become ignorant. Follow along 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 3. 2 Peter 3, starting in verse 3. Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at the time was destroyed being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years 
And a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Don't be ignorant. Let's grow. So so the first thing we're going to learn here is don't be ignorant of God's return. Jesus is coming back. Do not be ignorant of this fact. God is returning. And I said God because Jesus is God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. And he says, know this, first of all, he calls special attention to this. This is going to happen. In the last days, mockers will come with their mocking. And as they mock, they will attempt to undermine your confidence in Jesus' return. And as they mock you, they will seek to undermine your confidence in the word of God. And as they mock us, they will attempt to undermine our confidence in, in, God's, in God's holy word and God's promises, and they will do it sarcastically, is how they will do it. And mocking means to take lightly what should be taken seriously. The world takes us lightly. The world takes Jesus lightly. The world takes the Bible and its truths very lightly. Don't you take them lightly. It's a sign of the last days. They're going to come mocking. You say, well, what is the last days? You're living in it. The last days are the time between Jesus's first coming and Jesus's second coming. That, those are the last days. And I want you to notice what he says about their mocking. It says here in verse three, it follows after their own lusts. So their sinful, selfish, indulgent lifestyles go right along with their mocking of the things of God and the people of God. It's a sign of the last days. Last days living is lust-filled living. It's what it is. Second Timothy chapter three, we read similar words. Realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, get this, they're religious, they go to church. Although they've denied its power, avoid such men as these. So the last days are characterized, just to sum it up, a love of self, a love of money, a love of pleasure. Are we not living there? That's where we are. That's our world today. And all all along the lines being religious as well. Mocking of God, indulging in oneself has always gone hand in hand. Think about it. If God doesn't exist or the Bible isn't true and Jesus isn't returning and there is no judgment, hey, have at it. Live it up. Indulge in every sexual, sinful, selfish desire imaginable. I I mean, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we what? We die. So go for it and have a blast is basically what they're saying. The world in which mocks Jesus and mocks people of faith. But Jesus is coming back. Every single person in this place should have said amen standing, shouting and say, come Lord Jesus. I'll say it again. Jesus is coming back. Nobody stood and shouted, and we're going to do it again. Jesus is coming back. Man, that's how it should be, people. 
Man, let's get Pentecostal in this place. Come on. Anyway, listen. Every single book in the New Testament except two, Philemon and 3 John, reference Jesus is coming again. Do you understand that? 25 out of the 27 books in the New Testament says Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Let me just give you a few of the promises. Jesus in Matthew 24, they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Verse 44, for this reason you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour when you don't think he will. Think about that. Chapter 25, 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him and he will sit on his glorious throne, he's going to rule this world. John 14, my father's house, I got many dwelling places, many mansions. If it were not so, I'd have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. He has prepared a place for his children. And by the way, he says, if I go and prepare a place for you, guess what? I'm coming back again. And receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. In Acts 1, the angels to the disciples after the ascension, this Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you watched him go into heaven. He's coming back from heaven. 1 Thessalonians 4, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. The voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise. First, those bodies of beloved ones who have passed on, their bodies will, they will be resurrected. And we who are alive and remain and caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Be looking for his return. Hebrews 9.28, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. James 5, therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. And then in Revelation, chapter 1, it starts this way. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, Ever, even those who've pierced him. All tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it will be, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's the beginning and the end, says the Lord. Who is and who was and who is what? Who's to come, the Almighty. And then Revelation ends in chapter 22. Behold, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Say it with me. Come, Lord Jesus. Verse after verse after verse. Prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. Promise after promise after promise. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. To mock or deny the second coming of Christ is to mock and deny God himself. To mock or deny the second coming of Christ is to mock and deny every single promise, every single prophecy, and every single verse that refers to it in his holy word. And there's a lot of them. Now for you who are pretty excited about Jesus' return and you can't wait to see him, God has a reward for you. Paul writes as he is about to depart this life in 2 Timothy 4. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. 
I have kept the faith. By the way, that's how you should end your life. You should be able to look back on your life and say, I fought the good fight. I have finished this course. I have kept the faith. And in the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. God has a special reward for his children who can't wait to see him, who long for his return, who wake up in the morning and say, come Lord Jesus, today could be the day. Don Anderson, as many of you know, past the patriarch of our church, that man lived that truth out more than any man I know or have ever known. Loved prophecy, loved the truth of God's return, loves the Lord. He got that reward. May you get that reward. Living in anticipation of Jesus' return is life-changing. What do you mean by that? 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We don't know exactly our form and what we will be like in heaven. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. We will be like the resurrected Jesus. Think about who we see as the Lord in resurrection. Your body will be similar to that, perfect, without pain. Uh, You ready for that? Think about that. Because you will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself. You need to have your hope not in money, but in Jesus. You need to have your hope not in a better job, but on the coming of Christ. You need to have your hope not on the stuff of this world, but on the return of your Lord. Because it says here he purifies himself just as he is pure. When you know Jesus is coming back, you get your house in order. When you live with that truth. You know, it's kind of similar when you know you got friends coming over in a couple hours, all these people in the house really needs to be cleaned up. And all of a sudden, you, you get serious about it because you got company coming in a couple hours and you start issuing commands to everybody in the house. You, listen, you're, you're picking up that room and you get that and you vacuum that and come somebody come help me in the kitchen and we got to, you know what, we need to dust, we need to vacuum all this. Listen carefully, Jesus is coming back and some of your houses are a mess. Thank you for that. (laughs) Some of you got a lot of cleaning up to do. You got a lot of sin just sitting around. You You got a lot of dirt and dust. You got things in your life that are not straight right now. And you need to understand you're going to see your Savior soon. Whether he comes now or he calls you home, you're going to see him soon. And your house needs to be in order, so to speak. You got sexual sin in your life you have no business dealing with. You you have lies and deception in your life that you are living out. You've got greed and stealing, some of us here. You've got things in your life that and don't, don't just pick them up and put them in the closet for later. Get rid of them. It's time to be done with the sin. Stop living in it. Stop playing the game. Stop pretending to others. Stop living in hypocrisy. And let's clean house because you're going to see Jesus soon. Let, let's get our act together because you're going to see the Lord soon. 
This life is short. Whether he comes in the sky for us or he calls us home in death, we are going to see the Lord soon and it's time to clean house, people. It's time. 1 Thessalonians 4, 14. That you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the coming, the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. It's on the calendar. It's scheduled, his return. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality, dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see in his radiance, all-powerful glory. To him be the honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Let the truth of seeing this incredible God renew your zeal, your spiritual enthusiasm to to be who God wants you to be on this planet because you're going to see him soon. So don't be ignorant of God's return. Secondly, don't be ignorant of God's power. Look at verse 5. For this, they, for when they maintain this, that's where's the promise of his coming? Everything just continues and nothing has changed. He says, it escapes their notice, but that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. Verse seven, by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of of ungodly men. By his word, by his word, by his word, by his word. What do you mean by that? He spoke creation into existence by his word. Don't be ignorant of God's power. Look at the Genesis account in, in Genesis chapter one. Verse three, then God said, let there be light. And there was what? You try that. Doesn't work. (laughs) Verse six, then God said, let there be an expanse in the middle of the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. Verse nine, then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. He made the earth. Let it be said. Boom. Verse 14, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons, for days and for years. Verse 20, then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures with birds that fly above the... Have you looked at the birds of this earth? I'm not a bird nerd, but I like birds. I mean, the colors and the textures and the... It's crazy, the creative genius of our God. Uh, verse, 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 uh, where are we? What's the next? Oh, verse 24. <laughs> then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. Verse 26, read it with me. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. That's the power of God to create. I, I want you to understand this is God. There was no big bang. He spoke it into existence. I want you to understand there were no billions of years of evolution. He spoke this into existence. And by the way, it only took him how many days? Six days. And he did that for us and then rested on the seventh to give us that example. Man, incredible God that we have. Don't be ignorant of his power. He creates out of nothing. It's Latin, ex nihilo. Out of nothing, God creates. He doesn't need everything you create and I create. We got to have something to create it. He needed nothing. He spoke it. That is the power 
of our God. And he gives us the specific example of day two and day three. We see this in 2 Peter 3, 5. The heavens existed long ago. The earth was formed out of water and by the water. That's what we read earlier in Genesis 1, 6 through 10. Let there be an expanse in the midst of waters and let it separate waters from waters. And God, God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse and the waters which were above the expanse. I want you to understand what he's talking about. He's talking about the heaven and the sky that is created on day two. And there's this water above like a water canopy and water below which are the oceans and these great reservoirs beneath the surface. In verse 9, he said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let dry land appear. And God called the dry land earth. And so in day three, he creates the land. And he's saying to these mockers, who do you think you are? You don't understand the power of my God. He creates the heavens and waters above and waters below and he creates the earth and he speaks it all into existence. Don't be ignorant of God's power. Don't you doubt his power. And by the way, this same incredible power of God is your heavenly father. Please don't forget that. There is nothing that's impossible for your God. There is nothing that is impossible for your God. Your your God is the creator God and he's your father. And by the way, by his word, he spoke creation into existence. By his word, judgment is going to fall on this planet. By his word. And that's what we see in verse 7. By his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. So don't be ignorant of God's return. Don't be ignorant of God's power. Thirdly, don't be ignorant of God's wrath. He will judge. He is coming to judge. Their sarcastic criticisms will be answered. Where's the promise of his coming? Oh, forever since the fathers fell asleep. All continues just as it always has from the beginning of creation. And he talks about the fathers. That's a reference to Old Testament patriarchs. Falling asleep has nothing to do with falling asleep during the service when I preach. He's not talking about that. He's talking about, it's a euphemism for death. So please, nobody fall asleep today, okay? That's what it is. He's talking about the fathers, the Old Testament patriarchs are dead. They've died and nothing has changed. Thousands of years have passed, they're saying. Nothing has changed. The universe is stable. No reason to be alarmed. There's nothing supernatural that's going to take place, they're saying. It's all natural. What they're doing is they're holding to a teaching called uniformitarianism. That's what it is. Things have always been, or things will always be as things have always been. It's just long, slow processes that rule this world. Nothing cataclysmic ever happens on this earth. And Peter says, oh, you are so wrong. You are so ignorant of history. You are so ignorant of God's power. You are so ignorant of God's word. You are so ignorant of God's judgment. To think everything will always be as everything has always been. Peter basically says your argument doesn't hold water, pun intended. As he refers back to the flood. Which was anything but stable. And was completely supernatural. So they're ignorant of two kinds of judgments. They're ignorant of past judgment. Verse five, 
The earth was formed out of water by water. And then verse six, the world at the time was destroyed being flooded with water. So God created this earth in the midst of water and God destroyed this earth with abundance of water, 40 days and nights raining down, reservoirs of water beneath the surface, subterranean bursting forth, universal flood over Noah's day. Every single thing is killed except everything on that ark. Everything is judged and wiped out except those eight people and the animals, the creatures that they had. Now, they're ignorant of past judgment. They're ignorant of future judgment. Look at verse 7. By his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for water? No, what? Fire. So he destroyed the earth the first time by water, and he gave that promise in the sky that he was not going to do it again, the rainbow. And now he says, I'm going to destroy it a second time. But I'm not going to use water. I'm going to use fire. And it's being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. So he's saying it's reserved for fire. The heavens and the earth is on layaway right now. And Jesus is coming back to pick it up. And when he picks it up, he's going to destroy it. He's going to destroy this planet. And the people on it. His children will be taken off of it. But he will judge this planet. Let me remind you if that God is going to burn everything up on this earth, don't live for the stuff of this earth. Your house is going to burn. <gasps> yeah, it's going up. Cars, jewelry, Everything. By the way, when you die, I didn't know if you knew this, you don't take anything with you. You take nothing with you. Zero. So, so stop living for the stuff of this world. You're not taking it with you. It's all going to break down, rust, and burn eventually. And let's start living for the stuff of eternity. Because that's the only thing that really counts. Now, I want you to notice, it is God that is going to burn up this planet. So man will not destroy the earth by nuclear war. God's going to judge it. God is going to destroy this earth by the fire of his judgment. Now, what is interesting is that, that, that there's only a 10-mile thick crust from the surface of the earth to the molten blazing inferno of liquid fire underneath. God has plenty of fire at his disposal if he wishes to use it. Just a 10-mile thin crust. All he's got to do is bring that fire out on top. And this whole place goes up. Now, when the Lord returns, his return is for judgment. You need to understand that. His return is to judge and to destroy. Different than his first coming is his second coming. He came as a lamb to die for our sins and save us. He's coming back as a lion to rip this world apart and to judge it. Isaiah 66, 15, here's a prophecy. For behold, the Lord will come in fire and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. The Lord will execute judgment by fire. By a sword and all flesh, and those slain of the Lord will be many. 
Second Thessalonians 1, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. Do not be ignorant of his return. Do not be ignorant of his power. Do not be ignorant of God's wrath. Fourth, do not be ignorant of God's timeline. It is much different than yours and much different than mine. Verse 8. Do not let this one fact escape your notice. Pay attention to this, he's saying, beloved. That with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. And so they're sarcastic mocking. Where is the promise of his coming? Where is the promise of his coming? Everything continues just like it has from the beginning of creation. And what is his answer? His answer is Psalm 90 verse 4. And that's what he's alluding to. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by or as a watch in the night. By the way, sometimes we grow impatient. We think things should be moving faster. And God, why isn't things moving faster? And God, you are not God. And neither am I. He has a timeline. Trust God's timeline. His calendar is always perfect. His schedules never change. We're changing this doctor's appointment and changing that sports thing and changing this school activity and changing this. His calendar's set. It never changes. The dates are set. They never change. Isaac Watts put it this way in 1719 when he wrote, Oh God, our help in ages pass. Also a paraphrase of Psalm 94. A thousand ages in thy sight are like an evening gone, short as the watch that ends the night before the rising sun. God's timeline is not our timeline. Don't be ignorant. Don't be ignorant, verse 9, of God's patience. Say that with me. Don't be ignorant of God's patience. God isn't slow. The Lord is not slow about his promise, verse 9 says, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Aren't you glad for God's patience toward you? Aren't you glad he's been patient when you blew it again and again and again? Aren't you glad for his mercy? Aren't you glad that he's long-suffering? Aren't you glad that you're just like God toward others when they blow it toward you? You know what's amazing to me is how quickly we forget the patience of God when somebody's mad at us or when we're mad at somebody else. I think Jesus said something about 70 times what? Seven, that's a lot. It's a lot of forgiveness to offer. And by the way, he was just using a number. He, he meant it just keeps going. How many times has God forgiven you? How many times have you asked God for forgiveness? My guess it's probably more than 70 times seven. You might use that up in a week. I don't know, but anyway, I'm, that's none of my business. All I know is maybe we should be more like God toward others when they blow it with us. If God is known as a patient God, wouldn't it be nice if we were known as patient people? God is patient with us. Let's be patient with our children. They're not perfect. Because their mom's not perfect, 
Well, and their dad's not perfect either. <laughs> Let's be patient with our parents. Let's be patient with our coworkers. Let's be patient with our neighbors. Okay, now you're pushing it, Pastor Scott. <laughs> Listen, if, if God is patient with you, we need to be patient with other people. He says, some people, the Lord is slow about his promise. Some people are slow. They procrastinate, they put things off, you know, they forget about it, they never get around to doing it. Some of you here this morning are slow. And what do I mean by that? You have that project you started five or ten years ago you still haven't finished. You got that basement you were going to finish, that quilt you were going to do, and that, that picture organizing for your scrapbook 20 years ago. Uh-huh. The car you were going to restore, whatever. God is not slow. God does not procrastinate. God is not forgetful. He's never late. He's always on time. Even with his first coming, we read these words in Galatians 4. When the fullness of time came, right on schedule, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. You know, the same thing's going to be true when Jesus returns. It's going to be the fullness of time, right when God says, son, go. God isn't slow. God is patient. Verse 9, he is patient toward you, long-suffering, merciful. And then he gives us the reason for his patience. Not wishing for any to perish. Not wishing for any to go to hell. Not wishing for a single soul to be cast into the lake of fire. Not wishing for any to perish. 1 Timothy 2.4, similar idea. He desires how many men to be saved? All men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That is God's will, his desire. That all would be saved. Now, will all be saved? No, because many reject but the truth is out there and the gospel, the good news is given. He doesn't wish for any to perish. I want you to understand that God is not in heaven hating humanity, stocking up on lightning bolts. Just ready to... That's not God. Ezekiel chapter 18. For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord. Therefore, repent and live. Again in Ezekiel 33... Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked should turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. And that's what it means here when he says, not wishing for any perish, but for all to come to repentance. Repentance means to turn. To turn away from your sin and turn to God. Literally, it, it, it means to change your mind about your sin. To change, to turn. And you know what God's patience reveals? God's patience reveals God's mercy. Because he's not wishing for any to perish. But for all to come to repentance. And, and mocking God's patience is mocking God's mercy. And mocking God's patience is rejecting God's mercy. That's really what it is. He says, I wish for people to come to repentance. 
I, I think he wishes that for us who are Christians with sin in our life right now. You know who you are. And you know the sin. And so does God. He says, I want you to change your mind about your sin. That means stop making excuses for it. Stop thinking it's okay. Repent. Change your mind about sin and turn away from your sin. Repent. And then turn to Christ and ask for forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, right? He's faithful and just to forgive us of how many sins? All of our sins. See, I want you to understand there's two baths that we need to take or or two, two ways to look at this confession in life. There's the confession of sin one time for salvation when you ask Jesus to save you. And then there's the daily bath we take every day because we sin in some way every single day when we need to ask the Lord to save us or forgive us. So one is for saving, one is for cleansing. So ask Jesus to save you if you've not asked Jesus to save you. And then as a Christian here, get in the habit of confessing that sin. If, you, if you're thinking a wrong thought, doing something wrong, having a rotten attitude, whatever it is, confess that sin to God. Turn from that sin and turn back to the Lord. So I think repentance is for all of us as believers. And obviously repentance is for those who do not know Jesus yet. Acts 20, 21. Solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's two sides of the same coin. I need to repent of my sin, turn, and I need to turn to faith in Jesus Christ to be saved. I need to turn from my sin and and ask God's forgiveness of it, and then I need to turn to Jesus who died on the cross and ask him to cleanse me from my sin because I can't save myself. My good works will never get me into heaven. That's why Jesus died on the cross. He had to pay the price for my sin. And I have to receive that gift. It's the only way I can be saved. There's a lot of people in this world who are religious. They go to church. They think they're going to heaven because they go to church. They give some money. They help people out. They do good deeds. They think that's going to weigh out on this grand scale of good outweighing bad. God has no scale just to let you know. You're condemned going to hell. That's it. Well, what about God being merciful? He sent Jesus. That's the mercy of God. To die for you, to die for me. He has done everything possible to save us. Everything. So what do I have to do, need to do? I need to repent of my sin and trust in God to save me. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. And if you're here today and you've never received Jesus, please ask the Lord to save you. He's been patient. He's been merciful and he's waiting on you to trust him. Forgiveness is available. And in just a moment or two, I'm going to lead in a prayer. And and I'll ask you who don't know the Lord to pray along with me, but sincerely in your heart to God and ask him to save you. All of us, let's not be ignorant though. Let's not be ignorant of God's return. He's coming back. Let's not be ignorant of God's power, of God's wrath of God's timeline, and of God's patience. We serve a patient God. 
If you've been prompted by this message and are in need of a new beginning, or would like more information about Harvest New Beginnings, visit at harvest.church.